Welcome back to the Garden Weekly Bible Study on the Book of Hebrews. My name is Joel Fisher. I'm a defender of Christianity and a student of Scripture, and I'm here to walk with you through the Book of Hebrews. Um, we are on Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. We've been making our way through Hebrews. It took us quite a while to make it through Hebrews 1. The um, last section, the last video, was on verses 1 through 4, which were kind of an aside, an application of Hebrews chapter 1 before moving on to the new theology of chapter 2. So we are going to be diving into a kind of a whole new topic. Chapter 1, if you'll remember, was really about Jesus as being greater than angels. And there was a lot of reasons why the author of Hebrews was making that argument. If you haven't seen those, I recommend that you go back and watch them to find out why. Um, and in Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 4, he applied that to why we really need to pay attention and not let ourselves drift away through apathy and neglect, but to really pay attention to what Jesus had to say in the message of salvation that he brought. In verses 5 through 9 here, we are going to be talking about the Son becomes human. That's what I've titled this lesson. So let's dive right in. In verse 5, who will rule the world? Well, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Now that's the English Standard Version. And the way that it's rendered in the English Standard is kind of hard to parse. So I brought up another translation um, that I think says it a little bit better. This is the New English Translation, second edition. It says, For he did not, and he here is God, for he, God, did not put the world to come, about which we are speaking, under the control of angels. Right? So we are speaking about um, this section here about which we are speaking, if we just take that out, we have a much simpler sentence. For God did not put the world to come under the control of angels. But the first thing that I want to talk about is actually that section that I just erased. So I'm going to get rid of my erase, erasing there. Um, but this this verse tells us two things. Number one, we have been talking about the world to come. Excuse my writing for podcast listeners. I'm writing out my points here. And number two, God did not put that world... under control of angels. Angels, and I'm going to actually put slash sons of God, because as we've seen in previous lessons, those terms are basically synonymous in the mind of the author of Hebrews. So, number one here, though, how have we been talking about the world to come? We've been talking about how Jesus is greater than angels. We've been talking about how we shouldn't neglect salvation. But we haven't, have we really been talking about the world to come? It may come across as odd if you're not 
really tracking with the author of Hebrews train of thought. And we haven't talked about this too much yet. But think about what we've seen so far. And if you have your Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and, and pull this up. In verse in chapter 1 verse 3, it says in verse 3 it says, "The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word." All right, and here's the important part. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I'm going to actually just keep reading parts here of verses 4 to 6. So he, Jesus, the son, became superior to angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did he, God, ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father, Skipping down to verse 6, again, when God, he, God, brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So we've been talking about how Jesus is the heir of all things in verse 3. He's the inheritor of all things, verses 4 to 6. Angels are servants of the inheritors of salvation in verse 14. And then in verses 1 to 4, we talked about how um we are not to neglect the salvation that Jesus brings and how it's a greater salvation, how it's a greater law than the Sinai covenant, the Sinai law. It's a greater uh, salvation and, and covenant. So the author is clearly connecting the salvation, this inheritance, the heir of all things. Um, those, how Jesus, Mark. So the author is clearly connecting how Jesus is the heir of all things, he's the inheritor of all things, to salvation. Jesus is the heir of the world to come, seems to be what is, he's implying here. Um, he's the inheritor of the world to come. Angels are the servants of the inheritors of salvation. So the salvation and the world to come are clearly linked. Now, one way of thinking about salvation is that it's all about a personal decision that decides whether or not we go to the good place or the bad place. But the author of Hebrews clearly has a more nuanced and expansive idea of salvation, right? So we have um, personal decision to good place or bad place. Right? So that's one idea. And that's not that that's wrong, per se, but it's just not as nuanced or expansive, as I mentioned earlier, as what the author of Hebrews seems to be saying. Um, salvation doesn't merely include saving us from the bad place. It is the fulfillment of everything that creation was supposed to be, but that we messed up with our sin and failure. And Paul actually expands on this in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 24. He writes, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Keyword right there, sons of God and creation. Right? So we're talking about the future world, the world to come which is linked to creation and uh, how it is not under the control of angels. Well, who is it under the control of? The answer, spoiler alert, is going to be us. The 
sons of God who are to be revealed. Um, not the past sons of God, but the future sons of God, right? So creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? And again, that was Romans 8 verses 19 to 24. So as we've been talking about the hope of the future in Hebrews 1, Jesus the inheritor, Jesus the heir, uh, angels serving those who inherit salvation. We've been talking about that hope, and we've also been talking about holding to the message that Jesus spoke. What was the message that Jesus spoke? Jesus' Jesus's message was that the king has come, and the kingdom of heaven is arriving on earth. That kingdom that had Adam and Eve pass the test would already be here. The kingdom that if any of us were to pass every test would already be here, but we have all sinned and we all deserve death until Jesus. He passed every test. He paid the price and he earned for us a new creation. And we see it now in part but the fulfillment is still to come. In this hope, we were saved. Salvation. Right, so that's the salvation that we've been talking about, is the hope of the future of um, a new creation that will no longer be subjected to futility. This will end. And that the children of God will no longer groan with creation, right? We ourselves groan inwardly as we await our adoption as sons. That is salvation. Salvation is the fulfillment of everything that was supposed to be and that we failed to live up to. So let's move forward. Hebrews 2, 6 through the first part of 8. It has been testified somewhere, quote, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So, I gave a little bit of a hint earlier. If God didn't put the future world, the new creation, under the control and rule of angels, who did he put it under? The author of Hebrews is anticipating that question, and he quotes from Psalm 8 to answer it. So the obvious question that comes from Psalm 8, and one that great Christian thinkers have two different sides on, two different answers for, is... Is Psalm 8 
talking about Jesus or mankind? Jesus or us? So, as an aside, some translations are going to capitalize pronouns that they believe refer to God, such as him here, um, and we'll see in verse 9. Uh, the So, for instance, the NASB uh, 1995 translation, at least, uses a lowercase him in verse 8 and an uppercase him in verse 9. And so they're kind of giving away their thought on what they think that these pronouns refer to, um, that in verse 8 it's talking about mankind, and, it, and in verse 9 it's talking about Jesus. Um, so your translations may vary. It may be lowercase in verse 8, uppercase in verse 9, or something different. Um, but let's actually look at the context here and, and see if, you know, this quotation of Psalm 8 is intended to be about Jesus or us. Verse 9 is obviously about Jesus, but what about verse 8 here? So if you saw my video on 2 Samuel 7, I covered the Davidic covenant. and in that um, prophecy to David, that promise to David, there seemed to be two different things going on where there was a component to the covenant that was meant to be fulfilled in Solomon, but there was also a component to the covenant that couldn't be fulfilled in Solomon and um, anticipated a future fulfillment a true fulfillment, a super fulfillment, if you will, um, of that could only be done in Jesus, right? So 2 Samuel 7, in this covenant promise about a future king that would sit on David's throne, the answer to, is this talking about Solomon or Jesus, is both, right? It Parts of it can only be fulfilled by Solomon. Parts of it can only be fulfilled by Jesus. And this is a little bit more nuanced than that, but I think that the answer is still both. Um, I think that it's talking about humanity as it was created by God in Genesis chapter 1, right? So we're talking about Genesis 1 humanity. And that humanity... Um, was meant to rule all of creation. And we can look at Genesis 1.28 to see that. It says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So see the underworld, quote-unquote, the fish of the sea we are meant to have dominion over, the birds of the air, the heavens. We are meant to have dominion over sea, sky, and earth. Every part of creation is meant to be in subjection or in under the rulership of humanity. We were meant to be the rulers of the earth. Our original mandate, our original job description was to spread the Temple of Eden to the whole earth by quote-unquote subduing it, 
and that is a active verb of um, it's almost a military term to subject a nation to another nation's rule, right? The entire earth wasn't like the Garden of Eden. It wasn't like Eden yet. And humans lived in Eden. And our goal, our, our job description was to spread Eden's goodness across the entire earth, to subdue it into being Eden. Eden was the the precursor of the temple. It was the place where God dwelled with man. It was the place where heaven met earth. God's space met human space. And that was how the entire earth was meant to be through the actions and rulership of humanity. And we screwed it up. There's a Bible project video called the Royal Priests of Eden, and it goes into deeper depth in a really cool animated video way about this. And I really recommend that you just take a couple minutes and you watch that video again if you've already watched it or watch it for the first time if you haven't. So I think that Psalm 8, what's happening is that this is talking about Genesis 1 humanity. This is about the humanity that was supposed to take the entire earth and fill it into the temple of God, the whole earth would be the place where God dwells with man. This is the original promise. This is the awe of God. Why would you choose to partner with weak and frail humans to spread your goodness, your Eden, your temple across the entire earth? Sky, land, and sea, You were, we were meant to do that and so this is talking about that incredible promise. But, and that's where we go to the second part of verse 8 and into verse 9. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And here we get to the real meat and potatoes of this. We failed our Genesis 1 mandate, our Genesis 1 job description, spread God's goodness across the entire earth, spread Eden across the entire earth. We failed, right? Adam and Eve ate of the tree. They decided that they wanted to rule on their terms, not God's. In the so that fulfillment of that original promise of Eden being across the entire earth, of man living with God everywhere on earth in a special and unique way, it was lost until Jesus. He became human to fulfill that original promise, right? Before humanity, before Adam and Eve could start the process of spreading Eden to the whole earth, there was a test. God put a tree in the garden and said, do not eat of that tree. Of every other tree you can eat, but do not eat of that tree. And they failed the test. Jesus passed every test where Abraham failed, where David failed, where every other human has failed. Jesus passed it. He chose to die for us in order to allow whoever will to share in the to share in his righteousness, to share in his goodness, right? His right standing before God, whoever will, can choose to, to 
um, accept the gift of God's, Jesus's righteousness upon us, John 4, 14. So in that sense, as the fulfillment of the original promise, Jesus is the one who fulfills Psalm 8 too. Psalm 8 as well. Um, so when Psalm 8 is talking about Genesis 1 humanity, Jesus is the ultimate Genesis 1 human who passed every test. He is the one who passed the test in order to subject the entire world, the kingdom of heaven brought to earth. Kingdom of heaven is not some abstract idea. It is the fulfillment of Genesis 1 humanity. So this quotation of Psalm 8 is talking about humanity, yes, but it's also talking about Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of that um, of that job. But at present, we don't yet see everything in subject everything in subjection to Him. Who? Humanity, Jesus, both, right? But we do see Jesus, Him, Jesus who for a little while was made lower than the angels. He lowered himself from his, ex- from his exalted status as the supreme son of God, the unique son of God to become human, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We have all failed, Romans three twenty three. but through his actions as a human, Jesus passed every test. Because he passed the, every test, he has become the ultimate human, the last Adam, the one who has opened the way for us to share in the fulfillment of creation. When creation is groaning, but it's going to see its fulfillment as the ultimate temple of God. The consequence of failure to pass the test is capital D, death. Separation from God. Capital L, life is union in oneness with God. Capital D, death is separation from God. But Jesus tasted that death and suffering, that separation, so that we don't have to. And all who believe in what he has done for us and confess that he is the Lord of all creation, who everyone who puts their trust and their core identity in him will be saved. Romans 10.9 He tasted death for everyone. Not some, everyone, but you must place faith in him. Him to see the benefits. Thank you for being here with me for this study on Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. I hope that it has challenged you. I hope that you learned something. That's really my goal is to help people understand the scriptures, especially the difficult to understand parts. I spend a lot of time to dig into commentaries and to really parse out these sentences and things like that to help you understand what the Bible is really saying. Because when you understand what the Bible is really saying, you know, I give applications sometimes, but really, when you understand what the Bible is saying, you are the one who can give the best application into your own life. And that's my goal, for you to understand it so that you can apply it to your life. This is the Garden Weekly Bible Study on the Book of Hebrews. 
Garden Weekly is also a weekly newsletter and a ministry that helps you to find Christian videos, podcasts, and articles from around the web, from a variety of people, a variety of creators and websites that we think will deepen your faith and your understanding of scripture, God, and the world around us. And if you'd like to subscribe to that newsletter, you can just go to gardenweekly.com, type in your email address, and that's it. The link is in the description. If you enjoyed this video, hit the thumbs up, subscribe, the bell. If you're listening to this on podcast, you can, if you can go to iTunes and give us a rating there, that would be so helpful and so appreciated. Allow me to close in a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for for your sacrifice to lower yourself, to become a little lower than the angels for a little while, to taste capital D death and suffering for us so that we don't have to. Thank you, Lord, for as I have failed and every one of my listeners has missed the mark. That's the meaning of the word sin is missing the mark. We have missed the mark of um, of the test. We have failed the test every day in so many ways, Lord. And so we could not fulfill our job. Our job was to fill the earth with goodness and to make it a place where your presence was tangibly felt across the entire world. But Jesus did it in our place. And you not only did he do it in our place, but you opened a way for us to become adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus. And all that it requires is for us to put our trust, our faith, our identities in him, to confess with our mouths that he is Lord of all creation, including us. He is our Lord. And so, Lord, we are so thankful for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. See you next time.